welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Well, welcome to uh, week three of a multi-part series uh, where we look at different scriptures that talk about feet. Uh, if you're trying to figure out the profound theological truth behind that video, there's not one. Uh, we're just illustrating times where it's inappropriate to wear sandals. Uh, I woke up this morning and asked my wife if it was, a, if it was appropriate to wear sandals to, uh, to church this morning preaching, and she said no. So I have shoes on, um, which is great. Which Did you know, fun fact, um, we have on both of our feet, 250,000 sweat glands, and uh, sweat actually doesn't stink. It's the uh, odor bacteria causing uh, bacteria in your, in your feet that get trapped in your shoes and, and socks that actually cause your feet to smell. So if you're wearing sandals, your feet probably don't smell as bad as mine right now because they're trapped in these shoes here. Uh, if I had sandals, they wouldn't be stinking right now, but they, they are. So it's all good. But we are going to be looking at two scriptures today, uh, looking at beautiful feet. Beautiful feet. I don't know if you think your feet are beautiful or not. I don't particularly think that my feet are beautiful, but why don't you find out from your neighbor if they think their feet are beautiful. Turn, just ask them, your feet beautiful? Just be honest with one another. Turn to your neighbor. Say, are your feet beautiful? Okay, turn to the other one you're ignoring. They ignored you too. And just ask them, are their feet beautiful? There you go. Uh, We're looking at two scriptures here real quick. If they said, yes, my feet are beautiful, you're sitting next to a liar. Nobody's feet's beautiful. They're nasty. Uh, That's just the deal. Um, uh, First of all, I just want to say I love Edina campus. I love every time that I get to to be here. Uh, You guys are just... You excel in so many areas, especially the area of missions. You guys excel... um, we're not live casting to the other uh, campuses right now, so you guys kind of make the other campuses look like losers at times. You guys are just so awesome at what you do. Uh, the other campuses are not hearing this right now. I love them, but you guys are amazing at missions in so many other areas. But uh, uh, let me introduce myself. As you're turning to Isaiah 52.7, that's where we're going to begin, and then we're going to flip over to Romans uh, and look at uh, some verses there in Romans 10. Uh, the Isaiah chapter, our verse is talking about uh, evangelism. The verses in Romans are actually talking about missions, and we're going to talk about the difference between evangelism and missions. Uh, we should care deeply about both of them, but there is a big difference between the two. We'll talk about that. But as you're turning to Isaiah 52, uh, let me just introduce myself. I am the missions pastor uh, here at River Valley. I'm married, rock star uh, Tara, right here on the front row. Uh, she just put a donut in her mouth. That's awesome. And, uh, and then I got two little kids, two amazingly cute little kids. We can show you a picture here. William and Amelia, um, they're going on their very first global team in a couple of weeks. We're going down to Iowa as a group of families. Uh, helping out with a, um, I was on the globe, so it's a global team, uh, and so helping out with an at-risk kids and youth camp there. Um, their birthdays, actually, uh, Amelia's birthday is July 5, and his is July 6, so they think the fireworks are for them. We haven't told them they're not, but that's our present to them every single year, uh, so it's a beautiful thing. But um, one profound theological question that I want to ask God when I get to heaven is, um, how did he decide to put the cutest kids ever in creation in the same family? 
So, like, no offense to your kids, but look, I mean, that's the cutest kids. Can we all agree? We all agree. Cutest kids ever uh, there. Um, but I, I've said this before. Maybe you've heard me say this, but as a pastor, as a dad, whose last name is Mac, can you put them all together? Uh, coolest name ever. Pastor Mac Daddy is how I like to be referred to. So that's, uh, that's who I am. So let's jump into Isaiah 52, 7, looking at beautiful feet, looking at evangelism. Here we go. If you got on your smartphone or... Uh, Uh, in your Bible, uh, or it's up on the screen there. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. I think there's a few things that will help us understand what Isaiah is saying here. Isaiah uh, is the author of this book. It's named after its author, Isaiah. Um, He was an Old Testament prophet, Now, if you don't know what the role and responsibility of a prophet is, it's two things. Number one, they're supposed to prophesy about the coming Messiah, which we learn in the New Testament is Jesus Christ. But they're supposed to foretell, they're supposed to uh, tell us the Messiah is coming. Take away the sins of the world. The second responsibility of a prophet is to uh, remind God's people of their role, their responsibility within God's global plan, this big mission. And uh, so that's what he is doing. Uh, Prophets would often use a lot of symbolism, metaphors, poetry to try to illustrate their point. Obviously, here he does the same. He talks about a mountain, talks about feet, talks about beauty, all that. He's trying to illustrate his point. And uh, in the Old Testament, when you see mountain, see a mountain, Uh, It's referring to God's presence, his strength, how grand, how big his strength, his presence is uh, on earth. And then when you see feet, uh, it's symbolic of holiness and obedience, holiness and obedience. When it's talking about feet, just perk up, it's holiness and obedience. Uh, And then the the third thing, beauty, uh, the the word that Isaiah chooses to use is actually for this word beauty has nothing to do with an external Uh, 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 surface beauty. It has a much weightier, much more significant meaning than an external beauty. In fact, this word beauty that he uses in this uh, scripture is actually only used two other times in all of scripture. Think of someone longing for water that has just parched. They are so thirsty, hot day. They're longing for uh, uh, some water. And that moment that they are given that cup of water, how beautiful that moment is, this longing fulfilled just this deep, deep sense of how beautiful you finally handed me something uh, that can satisfy my thirst. Or think of somebody that has been separated from you. Maybe it's a friend, family member, maybe by war. You've been separated for many years in that beautiful moment when you see them and you're reunited. That's what he's trying to say. That, that, that moment, that beauty. Uh, or maybe you're a runner. Maybe you run 5K, 10K. Maybe you're a super overachiever, marathon, ultra marathon, all that. You've trained, you've trained, you've trained, you've worked hard. You've run about 20-something miles. You hit the wall, but you keep going mentally. You just keep pushing on. You turn that last corner, and you see the crowd, and you see the finish line. That moment, that beautiful thing that you know that you're about to accomplish the thing that you've been training for for so long, and just that sense, that excitement, that weight, that just, I made it, I did it. That is the beauty that uh, Isaiah is talking about there. And, um, and when you put mountain feet, beauty, all that together, uh, I believe what Isaiah is trying to say to us is how beautiful the weight, the longing fulfilled when God's people obediently bring the good news, bring the good news. Now, now notice, maybe you observe this, I observe this, that Isaiah is actually saying that the feet 
of the one who brings the message is beautiful. Now, the message of hope and peace and salvation is beautiful, but for some reason, Isaiah focuses on the bringing. The person that brings this message is beautiful. The feet of those who bring it is beautiful. Now, that's not to downplay the importance of serving with your hands or loving with your heart, but for whatever reason, Isaiah focuses on bringing the message, this good news, uh, as beautiful. Um, you may ask, what is the good news then that we're supposed to bring as God's people? And, uh, and, and really, again, uh, as an Old Testament prophet, he's prophesying about Jesus, the coming Messiah. And obviously, in this scripture, he didn't say Messiah, he didn't say Jesus, but when you look at the word good news in Hebrew, it has the identical theological meaning as gospel in the Greek New Testament, gospel, which every single time in the New Testament refers to Jesus. So when he says good news and gospel, you put those together, it is the identical theological meaning. And then when he goes on to say glad tidings and peace and salvation and reign, we know that Jesus is described in the Old Testament and New Testament as the Prince of Peace, as the way to salvation, as the one who reigns, as the one who brought glad tidings, good news to earth. So five times Isaiah is prophesying of Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah, the good news, the Prince of Peace, the one who brings salvation, uh, all those things. And so simply put, we are being challenged to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. There is something beautiful when we bring the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and Isaiah is challenging God's people with this idea that it's not enough to just know the good news, but to bring it, to proclaim it. Jesus said the same thing in the Old Testament. We did an entire sermon series on this idea of the Great Commission, go, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He told every single one of his followers, go and preach the gospel. When you literally translate the word go, it's as you're going, when you go, when you're doing regular life, when you're just living your life, you're sharing this good news of Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. Uh, we sometimes think maybe that's Pastor Rob's job, that's somebody else's job, but that, that's not true. It's all of our job as a follower of Christ. If you say that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, this is our responsibility to take the good news. But if Isaiah says it in the Old Testament, Jesus says it in the New Testament, why is it so hard? I'll admit, it's hard. It's hard to open up your mouth and say it. It's awkward. You don't know what to say. You don't have the words sometimes, and you're not ashamed of your faith. You're just not quite sure what to say. I love what a singer-songwriter, she's a local singer-songwriter, uh, says about that awkward feeling, uh, Sarah Groves, in conversations, talking about witnessing, uh, says it so well, better than I could say it. So she says this, I don't know how to say this, and I'm not trying to judge you. No, that's not my job. I'm just a seeker, too, in search of God. Somewhere, somehow, this subject became taboo. I have no other way to communicate to you. This is all that I have, and this is all that I am. I would like to share with you what makes me complete. I don't claim to have found the truth, but I know it has found me. The only thing that isn't meaningless to me is Jesus Christ and the way he has set me free. I don't know how to say this. I don't know where to start. Just know that I care for you, and I'm speaking from my heart. Her conclusion is so simple. When you share the story of Jesus Christ, what makes you complete Speak from your heart. Tell them your story. Tell them what Jesus has done in your life. Tell them your story. Think about what a witness does in court. 
A witness is called to the stand, and they have to get up on the stand, and they don't have to tell the whole story. They just tell their part of the story. They may not even know the whole story yet, but they're asked to say, to tell their story. And that's what, when we witness for Jesus Christ, that's what we're supposed to do, is tell our story. The part of the story that we know, what makes us complete, speaking uh, from the heart. The best evangelist I've ever met uh, is actually a missionary in a very hostile country. I've seen him uh, witness to people, share his faith uh, here in America. I've seen him do it overseas, and it's, it's incredible to watch him. Within moments, the people become just dialed in, locked in to every word that he says. He has them laughing. He has them crying. I don't know what kind of Budo mind tricks he's doing on them, but it's like, boom, they're just locked in. One time I asked him, I said, I said, how do you do that? What are you focusing on? Like, when you just start speaking, they just like mesmerized when you're telling. And he says this, he goes, I focus on telling stories and not just scriptures or statements. I tell my story of what Jesus means to me. I tell other people's story of how Jesus healed them, how Jesus restored them, how Jesus came through when they thought it was impossible. He goes, I take my story, I take other people's story, and I tell just stories of what Jesus means, and I weave in scriptures in that, but I just focus on stories. And let me just give you a helpful tip here. When you're telling the story of Jesus, this is crazy profound, but don't be weird. Like, just be normal. And if you're weird, stop being weird. Just be normal. Throw a mint in your mouth, maybe. Like, don't forget about personal space. Don't touch people. Don't groan and, and moan and stuff. Just be normal. Share what Jesus Christ means to you. What Jesus means to you from your heart. Maybe it's deeper than just not wanting to be socially awkward, not knowing what to say. Maybe you actually don't want to offend somebody. So I know that they're an atheist. I know that they come from a different religion, and, and by speaking up, it would offend them. What if by not speaking up, we're actually offending them? Think, uh, listen to what uh, uh, a known atheist and comedian, Penn Gillette of uh, Penn and Teller says about witnessing and why he doesn't blame Christians for trying to witness to him. He says this, I've always said that I don't respect Christians who don't witness to me. If you believe that there is a heaven and a hell and you think that it's not really worth telling me because it might make it socially awkward, I wonder, how much do you have to hate me to not tell me? Or listen to Nabil, a young, devout Muslim boy whose family just moved to America. What he said about a Christian young girl that turned around and told him about Jesus Christ. He says, when she turned around and asked me, do you know about Jesus? I immediately gained respect for her. I thought, why hadn't other Christians asked me this question? Doesn't their faith teach them that I need Jesus to go to heaven? Or don't they really believe what their faith teaches them? Perhaps our fears of social awkwardness or our fears of offending someone are actually just lies in our mind. If we really believe that Jesus Christ is the way to salvation, the most loving thing that we can do is tell them about the love of Jesus Christ that has made us complete, that has changed our life, that has given us this hope and given us this peace. Yes, I think we need to be kind, we need to be gracious, we need to do good things, but Isaiah would say you gotta do more than that. Proclaim it. Give a reason for your hope. Give a reason for your peace. Give a reason for your character and why you, you live life the way. Give a reason for your selflessness. Give a reason why you would do what you do. Speak up and proclaim the good news 
of Jesus Christ. Let's quickly turn to uh, Romans. We're going to talk about missions here real quick. Romans 10, 11 through 16. Uh, while you're turning there, New Testament, uh, just right past the Gospels there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, right after Acts there, Romans. While you're turning there, uh, just a few fun feet facts. Okay, fun feet facts. Here we go. Did you know that one-fourth of all the bones in your body are in your feet? One-fourth of all the bones of your body are in your feet. Uh, did you know that most of us in our lifetime will walk 100,000 miles, which is four times around the earth? Um, ever wonder why our feet are so ticklish for most of us? There's 8,000 nerve endings in the bottom of our feet. So that's just some fun uh, feet facts there for you. Uh, I'm just going to warn you, uh, it's going to get a little heavy here for a little bit, but stick with me. Um, the Apostle Paul in this passage, asks some really deep, uh, profound theological questions that can sometimes be disturbing uh, when you think about it. Uh, but stick with me here. Uh, Romans 10, 11 through 16. Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, but not all accepted the good news. These verses in Romans talk to us about the difference of evangelism and missions. Missions takes teamwork. All of us doing our part. Some need to, be, need to go and some need to send. There's no A team, B team. We all need to do our part. Let me try to explain the difference between uh, evangelism and missions. Evangelism is concerned with lostness. The Bible teaches us when somebody has not accepted Jesus Christ, they're lost. When they accept Jesus Christ, they're saved. They're found. Missions is concerned with access, giving somebody access to the gospel, to the good news. Evangelism is, again, focused on lostness. But missions takes it one step further and says, who and where are we going to evangelize? Who and where does not have access to the gospel? Let me explain it this way. I have two kids. We've already established two cutest kids ever created, okay? Amelia William. Amelia is lost in the church. She's lost in the church. My son, William, is lost in a desolate, remote desert all alone, both lost. But Amelia, she has access to people that can help her. William does not have access to anyone to help him. 42% of the world today, right now as we, as we sit here, 7,000 entire people groups, some millions on top of millions, 42% are literally lost in a desert that have no access to anyone that knows anyone that knows Jesus Christ. They are lost, but they do not have access to anyone that knows anyone that knows Jesus Christ. There is a profound and big difference, and this is what Paul is talking about. He said, how are they going to hear if no one tells them? If people aren't willing to go, how will they ever call in the name of Jesus Christ that saves them? Now, I, I don't know about you, but... When I, re when I hear that song, no wonder we call you Savior, uh, see the light uh, breaking through the darkness, hear the roar of the rugged cross, I get excited because in my mind's eye, 
I see the 241 missionaries that we support, the millions of dollars that we give through Kingdom Builders. I see the light breaking through the darkness. I hear the roar of the rugged cross as the the missionaries that we support are sharing this. I get excited about the churches that we're planting in unreached people groups. It should break our heart to know that there are people that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and they have no access. This means there's no church, there's no missionary, there's no known Christian. I am so glad that at River Valley, our heart is global. And we outpace the national average by 10, 15, 20%. It's crazy how big the heart for missions is at River Valley, and I love that. Do you know that the average church in America, the average Christian church in America, spends 97% of its resources on local church evangelism inside the walls of the church. 3% on missions for those that never heard. Okay, let me, let me explain. You would think I'm crazy if I spent 97% of the resources that I had to find my daughter in this building. And I only took 3% of the resources to try to find my son in a desolate desert. We can do better. We can be more strategic. We can take the resources and say, I can live on less so that others can hear. I can give more. I can be more sacrificial. I can be more creative so that others can hear. Do you know that the church in America has 9,000 times the amount of resources to put a church in every single unreached people group? 9,000 times. We have the resources. Let me make it personal. If you and I if we gave 10% of what we had to the local church and took another 10% and gave it to missions, so we still have 80% to live on, but we gave 10% local church, 10% to missions, in our generation, we'd be able to fulfill the Great Commission. In our generation, every single person on the face of this earth would get to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is good news. People question the love of God and say, could a loving God send somebody that's never heard to hell? I think the question is the wrong question. We shouldn't be questioning God and his love because he's given us the resources. The question should be turned on us. As followers of Jesus Christ that know the hope of eternity, know the hope, are we hoarding the resources to say, we've been given the resources, we should turn around and use it for his glory and honor. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul is saying uh, to us right now. As the worship team can come back, I just want to challenge us with, uh, with the thought, the mentality of our missionaries. I've got a buddy that's a Navy SEAL, and I love his mentality. I mean, he's just, he's ferocious. But when I talk to him and I talk to our missionaries, their mentality is very similar. They want to be in the heart of the battle. They want to be on the leading edge. They don't want to be left behind. They want the odds stacked against them. They want to go to the hardest places, the most difficult, challenging places. I love the mentality of our missionaries. Is that our mentality? Is our mentality, there's no A team, no, there's no B team. They're going to go, we're going to send. Are we, do we have the same tenaciousness? Do we have the same strength? Do we have the same desire to say, we want every single person on the face of this earth to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? I think of what one of our missionaries in Southern Asia said when people were kind of lamenting their conditions, their, their challenges, their living conditions, just how people were rejecting the gospel and, and it even says that they're going to reject it, some being even hostile towards them. He stopped and he was kind, but he was firm. And he said, don't for a second feel sorry for us. 
We get to live and serve where the need and the opportunity is greatest. It is our joy, it is our privilege to be able to take the gospel. Or I think of Edina's own, Grace Veeker, 23-year-old, just amazing young woman, going over to Muslim West Africa, where they do not even regard the women. Cows are worth more over there than women. If she walks into a coffee shop, they won't even take the time to write her name on the coffee cup because she doesn't have that much value. If she was a little girl at the park, playing in the park, they wouldn't even spend time looking at her. They would look at the little boys because they think that the boys are going to amount to everything and the girls are going to amount to nothing. Well, Grace doesn't get her value from what they say she is or isn't. She gets her value from the love of Jesus Christ that has changed her life. And she says, I'm going to bring this gospel, even if you reject it, even if you reject me, I'm going to tell you about the love and the hope of Jesus Christ. And those women who with veiled faces hear the gospel message that Jesus Christ loves you you are valued. He created you perfectly. There's hope and joy and peace that floods their, 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 uh, their being. And grace is willing to take it. Are we willing to send her? Are we willing to do our part so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can get to them? I close with this story. I didn't run cross country growing up, but in junior high, I decided I'm going to go out for the cross country team. And so I remember my very first race. Uh, in my mind's eye, I, I mean, we're talking Rio Olympics. There was this great stand of people. It was huge. Uh, but in reality, um, there was three schools. There were like 60 runners. There were about 100 parents lined up at the finish line. My dad was there. And uh, um, dusty field, overgrown field. And, uh, and I remember when they said, go. I just took off. Didn't have much of a plan. I just ran as fast as I could. About two-thirds, I was like, bad plan. <laughs> this is hard. I am about to pass out. And I was in first and I could hear them behind me coming closer and closer as I got more and more tired. The way this track was set up, a big overgrown field, the last third, you turn a corner. And when you turn that corner, you see the finish line and you see the crowd of people cheering. Well, in that crowd is my hero, my dad. And I could see him. I knew what he was wearing. I knew where he was standing. And as soon as I turned that corner, I saw my dad. And I saw him cheering at the top of his lungs. Come on, son, you can do it. Keep going, keep going. And something inside of me just rose up and gave me that extra measure. And I crossed that finish line. And I remember the, the feeling of my dad coming up to me afterwards. And he just wrapped his hairy, burly arms around me. And he said, son, I'm so proud of you. Well done. Whether you finish first or last, I finished first, that's not the point of the story. Um, whether you finish first or last, I am proud of you. You ran your race with everything that you had. Revelation says this, that one day all of us, every single one of us, are gonna stand before our Heavenly Father. As awesome as my earthly father is, my Heavenly Father is so much greater. We can't even imagine how good God is since he's gonna look at us. He's going to look at our life. He's going to look at everything that he's put in our hands. He's going to look at the people that he put in our pathway. And I hope it's the desire of all of us to hear the words that Revelation says. Well done. Well done. You ran your race. You finished well. You did what I asked you to do. Well done, thy good and faithful service. Come and enter. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to close with a song, No Wonder We Call You Savior. And as we sing the message of this song, bringing the light, 
hear the roar of the rugged cross. I want you to think about those in our community that, that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and I pray that you just have this courage rise up and say, I'll open up my mouth. I'll share what Jesus has done to me, done in me. And we'll also take what we have and take it to the farthest places. And then I'll come back up and close. But let's sing this song.